want to say we were uh, rocking out us encouraging the sound booth to really sing loudly, but it's just not the same. And I trust that you at home are uh, making your walls ring, but uh, you have to be louder. I can't hear you from here. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn over to Judges. That's where we are today. And I don't know about you, a lot of us are feeling frustrated. And, and not so much because I'm afraid of being afraid, or it's because... I do see all the things that are happening, and I'm not excited by them. I've got elderly parents, and I'm worried about them. And I look economically at what we're choosing to do, and it seems very scary. And and then and then I see people imposing things on everybody else, and we all have to act a certain way. And I get frustrated. I don't know. Decisions are out of our hands, and there's not enough data to know what to do. And, and so these things that are happening, it feels like we're, we're not settled, not in control. I feel helpless. And, you know, even just a month ago, life seemed so much different. I, I had a schedule. You know, I got up and came to the church a certain time. The kids went to school, and, and, and things had their rhythms, and now those rhythms are just broken. Frustrating. I even Sunday, you know, I get up at a certain time to come in early. I, I do certain things, and now it's like Sunday's not even happening. We're looking at an empty room, and I'm, I'm imagining you guys here, and you're not here. Frustrating. So you might say, well, hey, what's the deal? Why don't we, why don't we break from what we're doing? Why don't we stop this piece of, of, uh, judges and go do something topical about not being afraid? And no, no, no. Here's the thing. Judges, hits right where we need to be. The message of the Bible is so interesting to say. We're having this now to say God's in control. I'm telling you up front, he adores you. He's acting for you. And the things that we hope for, that we hold on to, are those things. So way before the coronavirus pandemic, the Bible screams out at you and me. You have no control. How do we think about those things deeply? we're going to today. So follow with me. This is first, I'm calling this our bewildering lack of control. Man, I want to have that remote, but I just don't have it. How do I think about that? From Judges chapter 12. It's a short passage. It's aiming us at a way, and then I'm going to leap off it to help with that main point and show you how the Bible talks about our lack of control. Here we go. Start with our control being shattered. Judges chapter 12, look with me at verse 8. It says this. After him, speaking of Jephthah, Isbon of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters he gave in marriage outside his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Isban died and was buried at Bethlehem. Pause there for a minute. I mean, first, you know, regardless of who this Isban was, we know nothing else of him. This is it. And, and I just have to ask as we start, I mean, thinking this is the Bible. Why is this fair? Why? You know, this is what we know of him. He had 30 sons. Well, think of who we just talked about last week, Jephthah. Jephthah had one precious daughter. And with an unseemly vow, he sacrificed her and had no other children. 
But the judge before him had 30 children, and the judge after him has 30 children, and then 30 daughters. He has 60 kids. I mean, in fact, doesn't a lot of the Bible kind of seem this way? I just, to my eyes and to a normal reading, it seems like things just aren't quite fair. And my question is why? You know, I think about even Joseph who is taking little baby Jesus and they're fleeing Bethlehem to go to Egypt. And how I cheer for that, how amazing it is that Jesus is rescued. What about all the other kids? Why did they have to die? They didn't escape. You say, well, you know, the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. But then in Kings, it talks about how King Manasseh made the streets of Jerusalem run with blood like rivers. What? That doesn't seem right. What God, God, what are you doing? Why? Why do you do these things? In Acts chapter 12, there's this amazing scene of, of Peter. When he's in jail, you probably remember, and he's there in the jail, and he gets freed, and miraculously, and he jumps out and walks down the street, and and he's free. But in that same chapter at the beginning, you've got James, the brother of John, who's killed by the sword. Why? Why did he get killed and he get freed? Lord, I don't understand. This doesn't seem right. There's missing pieces. I want to fill it in. Keep going in our text. This is what we get to do. So in verse 11, after him, after Isbon, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel. And he judged Israel ten years. Then Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Hijalon in the land of Zebulun. Okay then. Elon the Zebulonite buried at Ahijon in Zebulun. He gets two verses. What's his story? Did he have a story like Gideon? Did he have a story like Samson? You know Samson. I bet you've never heard of Elon the Zebulonite. Why don't we get to know about him? What did he do? How did he lead? Was he faithful? I don't like that we don't know. It doesn't seem right. Doesn't he matter? And there's more. Verse 13, after him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, judged Israel. He had 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, died, was buried at Pirithon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. Again, we know nothing of these judges except what we're told right here. And I don't think the point is that he had 70 donkeys. I think there's another point. A point we can take in. Because it's staccato in verse 7, in verse 10, in verse 12, in verse 15. And he died. Do you know what you get? Death. Like a battering ram. Death, you know, one commentator said, the lot of man at last claims his due of the great and the good and whatever else we may hear of any man or woman. We are sure to hear of one thing, that he died. You know what? This kind of rankles me. 
I mean, it's an, there's an obituary out there, you know, and it has your name on it. Maybe that's that's all. I don't know when you're going to die. It could be today. You, you, here's the thing. You have no control. Our dear member of our body, Denny Tell, died this week. He died on Friday. Why then? Why, Lord? Today there's a virus sweeping our nation. And why will one person die and not another? And, and I'm trying to make sense of it, you know, what age demographic you're in or what exposure you might have or, or whether you did the right or the wrong thing. And I'm trying to fill it all out. But you know what? Do you know that around almost 3 million people die in the United States, just the United States, every year? Well over 150 people will die during the message today. I'm not talking about you. Do we even know their names? And it's not just about death, you know, it's about value. Is there value in what they did or who what we lived and Eric Ortland says, he says, in life without God, we're building sandcastles by the ocean, and the tide's coming in. It's just a matter of time until the sum total of our lives is washed away. Does it matter anymore that the Hittites had a flourishing empire or, you know, that Alexander the Great conquered the world? I suppose there's a few people, a handful out of millions from the last century, whose actions are still affecting us, but it's only a matter of time until the sea washes over the lines they drew in the sand as well. It's a neat thing this morning for us as we consider judges and these death obituaries to think it comes for us too. There's something bigger going on. There's something deep that we don't really understand, and nothing... Nothing ultimately lasts, even, especially, us. I like to put it this way, and that's what we've seen from the text here. Life is unfair. It is unfair that everybody knows Samson and nobody knows Elon. It is unfair that that, that this, this judge got 60 kids and Jephthah got only one. It's not fair. Right? And you can add some more in there. And because life is unfair, you know what? The, it means that the past is really unexplainable. It means the present's unreasonable. It means the future's unpredictable. We, we know the very end. We know some things from Revelation and some prophetic things. But really, your future, what's going to happen to you today or tomorrow? I know this. Death is inevitable. Now, you say, I get that, Dax, there's no problem with that, except here's the problem. You and I have no control. We act like we do. We do all these things. But at the end of the day, we have no control. Now, that doesn't sound very hopeful. Okay, then we'll just give up and die. I'll just eat, live, and be merry, or whatever that might mean. No, but you have to see that this is what we see as a problem. Whether we say it or not, this is what we're striving after with our lives, to try and grab hold of some piece of control. That's why we're so frustrated. That's why I'm so frustrated. I feel like my control is gone. So we start to impose some ideas of control on our lives when we think, and so normally we start thinking, well, I have God, and so I have the Bible, and so our response is to come to the Bible, and here we go to try and gain personal control through doing what the Bible says. 
doing the rules of the Bible because it gives me guidelines to go. Most of the time, even then, what it does is bring us to illusions of control. That's right. I said illusions. Because in uncertain times, we come to our Bible and we say, we will have it be our guide. It will inform our life. But what we really mean is, it's going to give me a sense of control over my day, over my life. We do. Because in serious times, we need to have some things to help control our environment, control our outcomes. And we've been given this Bible. Maybe it'll help control my outcome. There's very good reason why we seek these things. The Bible says to seek wisdom, pursue understanding, Proverbs says, right? Above all else. We set our minds on this because if we have wisdom, if we have understanding, we know what to do. We know sort of how we can control our environment to maximize our life, to do the right thing. And and, and to some degree, I, I think, hey, it answers questions for us that we have even practical ones. I, really, how much quarantining should I do or... How much toilet paper should I buy? Should I should I drive a gas-powered car night? Is it is it wise to go outside or to stay in? And those are just the pressing questions of the moment. But but I go and say I need some control. I need something to tell me what I'm gonna do. Are you with me, kinda? I mean, we're all doing this whether we say it or not. In, in our Christianity, it's like this. We think there's a big stream, a big river. It's maybe a fast river. It's a powerful river. And we're a raft on it. But, but you see, it's not just that we control uh, and trust the flow of the river that I don't really have control over. I want to have a, a, a rudder in it. I want to put, a, maybe it's an oar, something I have that I can put in that river and, and use it to guide myself. And if God's that mighty river, we're raft on it, have we been given oars? If I could get answers, I could control what happens, the direction I'm going, to the best of my ability. And that's why I'm calling this, you and I have illusions of control. If I could, if I could use biblical principles rightly and, and have financial control and not have enough to weather the storm, or if I get respect and honor and a good reputation, I'll, I'll control what people think of me. And, and if I have, boy, good patterns and, and, and ways that I'm taking care of myself and eating the right foods and doing the right things, I'll have health. I'll have some control over it. And, and then spiritually, I, I, how do I do the things that please God so that he's happy with me and I can do the right things to keep him on my side? Not a vow like Jephthah did last week. That was foolish. But hasn't he given me some things to control my direction? We have a set of rules we buy into because they give us control. Here's what Ecclesiastes says. This is the end of the matter, the wisest man ever wrote. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
For this is the whole duty of the law. So this is wisdom. This is the wisdom. Keep the commandments of God. And that's something to grasp onto, something to hold. I'm doing that. We get to see it. I'm handling the crisis by using it as opportunity to love my neighbor. You see, that's the rule. This is, this is the time. We can, we can, we can not just weather this storm, but have a great outcome if we just love one another. That's the rule. That's the great commandment. Here's Jesus in Matthew. They asked him, right? In Matthew 22, the scribes came up and asked Jesus, teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to this, this religious guy, said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Do you see, see what that is? The, the scribe saying, I, I want to know what I have to do and what's the or that's going to guide my life. And, and, and Jesus says, well, what you're understanding is the only thing you have there is wisdom is to do the law. And, and that's the law, so it's true. That's what the law says, and, and that's the way. But the connection that I make is if I do it, my life will go well. So love someone today. It'll go well for you. That's what I start to think, right? But then, then I don't realize what the message of the Bible actually is at its core. It's something a little different. Because come back to Ecclesiastes with me. Look at, look at chapter 8. The wisest man on earth says, there's a vanity that takes place on earth. There are righteous people to who it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. This is a vanity, he says. Vanity means worthlessness. In our setting, we'd say, this is confusing. The wisest man said it doesn't follow like that. You can't use your oar to move you rightly because I've seen it. People do the right thing and the wrong things happen. And people do the wrong thing and they, the right thing happens to them. And, and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to do the best. And if your linkage is I'm doing it so that it'll go right with me, it doesn't work. What he ended up saying there is I commend joy. In verse 15, if you want to look, I won't put it on the screen. Man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him through his toil all the days of the life that God's given him. What does that mean? The wisest man on earth says, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what you got. Yeah, somebody in the sound booth is cheering. I won't say who it is. <laughs> oh, no way. But wh- why? Why would you say that? It's because the thinking of, I'm going to control how things happen to me by the things I do is what Solomon's taking down. He says, you can't see it, right? This is the problem, the, the disconnect. The law is beautiful, but doing it isn't the or. God's not like that. There's a disconnect. The disconnect is, I, I think there's still a way for me to use God's writings. To have control. This is the deep thing. This is the illusion of control that you and I struggle to give up. I think God's operating out of some universal law that's above God. 
His ways are codified so you know what they are, and therefore you know what he's going to do, and it's up to you to follow and figure out what he's going to do. And the Bible comes and says God is not like that. What do I mean? Well, if you keep reading in Ecclesiastes 18, when I applied my heart, this wisest man who ever lived said, when I applied my heart, uh, verse 16, to know wisdom, to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. And then I saw all the work of God. And listen, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. What is he saying? What is this wisest man saying? You know what it comes back to? You don't know. We don't understand. Death? Yeah. Why now? A virus comes in. Why now? What are the reasons underneath? And you're dying, you know. No one's going to remember your name. You can ignore it. You can put your head in the sand and say, it doesn't matter. I'm going to pretend like I have control, pretend like I have great meaning in my own self, pretend like if I use the right principles, things will go well with me. But I'm telling you, the wisest man on earth, the Bible says, death comes for you. And you know what? People won't remember your name. You have the illusion of control. I, I don't want to hear it. I say, can't I, I go back to just having the illusion? I kind of like the illusion. And that's why this crisis that we're in right now is such an amazing thing because it's broken our illusion of control. We don't have the control we thought we had. If I just live my life this way, I go and I be a good worker and I put in my hours and I come home to my kids and my kids have been at school and they can tell me the three math problems they learned and then we'll have a nice quiet time as a family and then we'll go to bed and we'll wake up and do it again. And this is the ordered life that has value. No, crack. I don't even get to come to church today. Amazing opportunity for you and I to come to God as he tells us who we are, as he tells us who he is. We are beggars, we are paupers, and he is the hidden God who does deep things that you can never understand. This is God. Let me just say, he's in control. We have a God and he is in control. Let's talk about that for a minute. Because the Bible, and even Martin Luther back in the Reformation, divided God's actions into two things. He says there's a hidden God and there's a revealed God. And the hidden God is all over. There's so much we will never understand about God. But he proclaims he is in control. He's not under his law like it's above him. He hides so let me give you a couple verses. Here's, for example, in the Psalms, here's David saying to God, why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Do you realize that's the human experience? We don't understand where God is working. So we get like, God, I'm suffering and you're not, you're not acting. I don't understand. Of course you don't understand. You're not God. God hides himself. He's hidden because you can't figure him out. There's no answer given to the why. We, we aren't blessed. It's like, here I am, Lord, praying to you, and therefore you need to answer me. No. 
No, that's not actually what has to happen. You know, we aren't blessed by law-keeping, especially by God. You know, we aren't blessed by reading our Bible more, especially by God. We're not changed into something more than human beings that are totally dependent on God all the time. We aren't given an ower to have to control our own destiny. We're in the hands of the hidden one. Isaiah says it this way. Look what Isaiah says. This is the law and the prophets, right? Here's the, if you will, the greatest of the prophets. He says in Isaiah 45, he says, Truly, you are a God who hides himself. O God of Israel, the Savior. Do you see that? The single most amazing thing. Truly, you are a God who hides himself. That means he can't be found. And we're saying, oh, but he's the God. He's our Savior. The single most amazing information is our God. The thing that's hidden. He forgives sin. That's Isaiah 2. Right? Look at Isaiah 43. Verse 25. says, I, God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions own sake, and I will not remember your sins. What in the world? This is the message, right? This is the coming of Christ. This is what's coming. I blot out your transgressions for my own sake. I'm doing it for my reasons. I'm not even telling you. I'm not saying it's because you've done well, kid, because you've done the things you should do. No, the hiddenness of God is that he just does it for his own sake. Wow, this is the message. This, by the way, is what Jesus is saying, right? This is This is who Christ is. When we see in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. But but in these last days, those are our days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he, he created the world. God spoke in his son. What did he speak? If the message is Jesus. You know what, what happens is to our shame. I think the message of Jesus is a message of self-improvement. Life through law-keeping, like Jesus gave us the summary of the law, just like the Old Testament did and said, hey, have at it, kid. That That's not it, right? That That's not the message. Jesus is perfect God. Jesus is the river. He's not an ower for us to manage the river. He is the river. He breaks death for us. Look what Hebrews says of Jesus. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death, Hebrews 7, from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And and consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What's the thing we're doing? Drawing near to God through who? Through Jesus. And he saves. You don't need reform. You need Jesus. You need to hear his promise in these troubled times, don't you? You need to hear Jesus is for you. And he he is. Look what he's done to death. This is 2 Timothy 1. It's been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who what? Abolished death. Take that, O person who's dying. He's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
Not, not, not through better law keeping, not through the 12 steps, not through anything like through what? Through the good news. He forgives your sin. That's the good news. It doesn't stop sinning or decrease your sin or use your ower well to navigate life rightly. It's, it's this one piece. Jesus says to you today, he says, I forgive you. Do you hear it? This is to Luther the God revealed, you know. Because the rules bring wrath and Jesus saves outside the law, our hidden God doing what we can't see, we can't understand, we can only hear and receive. See, see, so this, I summarize for you if you're at home and looking on a TV, that it would say this, God is hidden in action. We don't, we don't know what he's doing. We can't understand it. We, we try, you know. So watch out. People will say things like, well, this is a judgment on the nation, or this is a judgment on China, or it's the Wuhan virus. You know why? No, I do know why it's the Wuhan virus. It's from there. But it's not a judgment on there. Right? God's hidden in his action. We don't know why he's doing things. But God's revealed in what? The proclamation of the gospel. What Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. And here's what he's done. For the law brings wrath. Romans 4.15. But where there is no law, there is what? No transgression. Want to have no transgression? No law. No or. Give it up. And, and, and there's wrath for that way. There's only wrath for you saying, I'm going to hold on to control and I will not let it go and I will take my value on how well I'm doing in rowing this boat. Give the oar up and say, you know what? I'm going to trust that this river is taking me exactly where I'm supposed to go because he's in charge, not me. <laughs> Wretched man that I am. Wretched woman that I am. Wretched child that I am. Oh, wretched person who will set me free from the body of this death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We live in trying times today, you know. You and I, please do all you can to obey those in authority. To wash your hands. To be safe. To be reasonable. And love your neighbor, too. You know, these are great opportunities to help those around you and pray for the weak and visit the sick and, and, and care for those in need. It's fantastic. But that's not the message. That's not the message you and I stand on. The message we stand on is that we are not in control. And our very repentance, our very brokenheartedness is that we are creatures who constantly grab after it. Oh, Lord, help us. And and even with our rules, our guesses as to why, our assigning blame, our judging worthiness, and the truth is, we're all unworthy, and we're all dying, and we're all paupers, and the rules will not help us. We must have a Savior, and it is not the law. So what we have this morning and what going through the airways to you is this proclamation to say to you, you are forgiven. Jesus Christ has done it. And to the unworthy, our unworthy, life comes. There's this God who works beneath the law. He's grander and deeper and more in control than you can ever, ever imagine. And he speaks to you today. He's got you. You are forgiven. He, he did it by breaking things. 
He did it in hidden ways. Death has been broken, so no fear needs needs exist. But when you are afraid, you're forgiven. This is what we live in, you and I. And in these times and in this day, we come back to Judges, to the message of the Bible, and say death comes no matter what you do. And the way out is the truth that Jesus Christ has broken death forever. Let's pray.